Hello, I'm Jeff Lester, and welcome to Wait, What? A comics and pop culture podcast coming to you from the not-so-solitary fortress that is WaitWhatPodcast.com. Today, Graham McMillan and I are here with episode 315, also known as Wait, What is Grey? A two-hour episode discussing the Zack Snyder cut of Justice League, currently playing on HBO Max for the first half of our episode, and spending the second half discussing the premiere of Falcon and Winter Soldier, currently on Disney+, Plus, as well as both seasons of The Green Lantern by Grant Morrison and Liam Sharp, currently playing on comic books. As always... We welcome your comments at waitwhatpodcast.com, your questions at waitwhatpodcast at gmail.com, and we invite you to look out for us on Twitter, Tumblr, Instagram, and Patreon. As always, we hope you enjoy, and thank you for listening. Jeff Lester! Graham McMillan, hello! Hello, how are you? Oh, you know, I don't, I don't know. I'm, I'm hyper, I guess I'm just kind of hyper, but also exhausted. So I'm sort of hyper and exhausted, which, like, I think I had, like, too much sugar and or not enough sleep. So, in other words, I'm perfect to discuss the four-hour Snyder Cut of (laughs) Justice League. I was literally going to make a joke about, oh, you're just like the Snyder Cut. Yeah, yeah. I just saw, just recording, do you know they're doing another version of Justice League? (laughs) What? This is not a joke. They're apparently doing something called Zack Snyder's Justice League, colon, Justice is Grey, which is not what I thought it was, which was just a black and white version of the film. Yeah, that's what I sort of figured. It's more footage. It's what? It's more footage. More footage? I think it's alternate footage. I think it's replacing. Oh, wow. Shall we just politely say entirely unnecessary uh, epilogue at the end is different? Oh, really? A different unnecessary epilogue? Yes. Huh. Well, 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 well. You know, it's funny. I I've got so many thoughts. I overthought the shit out of that movie, so I'm really okay. looking forward to talking about it. So I've got to ask you because part of this is also brought up by the fact that I am again watching the Whedon cut. Right. Oh God. What? Uh, it's it's for work. Oh. Uh, you may or may not have seen that I tweeted uh, after watching the the Snyder cut. Basically, that it's as much as anything an indictment of Joss Whedon. Yes, because, as a filmmaker, I would say. Yes, yes, because I'm not saying the Snyder Cut is perfect because it's not. But almost every significant change that was made for the theatrical version was a change that made it worse in my eyes. Yeah, I think so. I think so. Right? I, there's and I think, yeah, I think it really does stand as an indictment of Whedon as a filmmaker. Again. Yeah. Um. And someone got in contact and were like, hey, do you want to turn it into a piece? And I was like, yes, I do. But also, I guess that means I've got to watch the Whedon cut again. So I did like half of that today. Mm, 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 mm. Um, And uh, I'm telling you, if I watched, if I watched that, I did. I watched that mm, three weeks ago or so. Yeah. and, And was like, wow, this is really bad. And then I watched the Snyder Cut this week. And then watching the Whedon cut again after seeing the Snyder cut is dizzying. I bet. Is is genuinely, not only because your early side was going, okay, so so that really was this, and that was this, and they made this change. And like I can see, because you kind of see like the work in progress or, you know, the, the original. The seams or whatever. Yeah. And then you see what Whedon did with it. 
Right. And there are, like, there are bits that seemed inexplicable before, and now there are bits that are genuinely inexplicable. Mm. Uh, for example, why do they change the name of the island where they have the first fight with Steppenwolf? Like, what does it actually serve? Huh. Right? Like, that's just a genuinely weird change. Hmm. You know, there's, there's, I mean, there's lots of, of more obvious changes. There's lots of, of, you know, you can tell the bits that they thought were just making it um, closer to either an abridged version of what the executives wanted. There's also ones where you can see, like, Whedon just being Whedon. Yeah. But it's, yeah. The, it's the ones where they're just, like, inexplicable, where you, where you really are like, but why? You know, the, the thing that's interesting for me is... It, before we delve into it super deeply is just just on the surface part of me is you know whedon was tasked with if nothing else bringing it into a two-hour running time and so at that point there are some very very hard choices to to Mm -hmm. make that snyder really of course was given the ultimate liberation to to not do that at all Snyder, had, Snyder was clearly told, restore your mission, and he went, fine, I'm putting fucking everything in. Yeah. Uh, because four hours is far too long. That is a, a an overstuffed mess of a film. You know what? I, okay. Well, we'll, we'll think so. dig into I think it. You can, I think you can easily cut an hour out of it and probably get a good two and a half hour film out of it. Dude, so so here's the thing that is... I mean, there's many things that's... In... The epilogue is half an hour long. Yeah, yeah, it's great. Look, I so I, my thing is, is that w- the thing that I found both kind of... For whatever reason, I don't normally do this because I've just sort of wandered off into my own personal morass. But I did find myself reading a couple of different... Uh, Snyder profiles and interviews, you know, David Scoff did one for the New York Times and and there was a f- few other things in there. And the one thing that I found incredibly telling, incredibly telling, is at one point uh, he said something like, he said something like, uh, yeah, originally the footage was going to be like, you know, I had a two and a half hour hour cut for them. And and so it's Goff was like, so your original cut of the movie was two and a half hours? He's like, no, that's just the cut I delivered them. He's like, the sort of he basically went on to say, like, the movie the movie is whatever the movie whatever they sort of needed to be. If they needed to be two hours, I, I can do it at two hours. If they need two and a half hours, you know, four hours, like and that's why part of me is like the idea that they he had more footage and was going to do a six hour version wouldn't necessarily surprise me. In fact, his, so there's a lot of fluidity about for Whedon, uh, for, for Snyder about, I think formats, which is really interesting and weird. Like the, the four hour cut of Justice League, you know, at one point he was talking about doing it as more or less a TV series. Yeah, a miniseries. And you can kind of see where the joints go at, you know, approximately every 40 minutes. Yes, well, see, that's that's it. It Mm -hmm. It was meant to be a four-part miniseries, which Mm -hmm. means each episode is an hour long. Right. But it's a six-chapter film with a prologue and an epilogue. Yeah, no, exactly. And so, but the weird part is, and again... 
it's a little bit about how he ran out of time it, it, to me is there is so much at four hours that I'm like, how can you have a four hour movie and a have it so underbaked in terms of barely kind of having anything in there and also what was going on in your head that you basically shot every character telling the story of the movie and what had to be done you know what i mean like there's there's just a profound amount of repetition in the four-hour cut of of justice league it's it's shocking how easy it is to imagine the cuts that need to be made uh, you know, I, I agree. Do you not think? Yeah, well, I, 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 for myself, there was stuff that I thought should be cut. I also had moments where I'm like, there should be more here. But, but what I'm about to submit to you, Graham, is that Zack Snyder's Justice League may be taken in tandem with WandaVision and Falcon and Winter Soldier has a turning point for the comic book movie which is to say that finally in the year of our lord 2021 comic book movies are now writing for the trade you know like that whole decompressed storytelling that that we bemoaned uh you know hitting this hitting the stands back in the days of Bendis and to an extent yeah, Ellis. Yeah, 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 like they're in the turn of the century. Yeah. yeah, it's, it, I think it is here now. Like that, Justice League seemed like a TV show that, I mean, a movie that got stitched partially into a TV show that then he re-stitched into a four-hour movie that then, like, if they wanted him to deliver it as a 30-second Mountain Dew commercial, he would be happy to do so. <laughs> there's a lot of weird stuff about there's, Zack Snyder, yeah. you know? There's, and there's a, lot, there's a lot of interesting, uh, or I, and that's me being polite, I think, confusing choices made. Right. Which, well, it, confusing, it, they're incredibly confusing if you are choosing them in the process of telling a story. And and the and what is weird is that I don't I'm not sure that 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 is what Zack Snyder is into either in the DCU movies generally, but particularly by the time you get the Justice League. One of my weird biases while watching Justice League because it was four hours is I was like. This has way, way more in common with Twin Peaks The Return than I was thinking that it was going to, you know? Um, it has a lot of the same thing that, that Lynch has going on. I mean, not only just in, in Twin Peaks The Return, where, you know, it's fashioned around you know, quote-unquote mythology, much more literally in Twin Peaks The Returns case, but also you are... The movie has a, a long time without, in theory, the central character, you know, until yeah. until Superman returns in Justice League. Um, similar to the way that you're just waiting for Dale Cooper to come back in Twin Peaks and waiting and waiting and waiting. And so there's a... There's a among other things, I I think I want to submit that Snyder is uh, 
you know, for lack of a better term, a bisexual swinger hedonist more than a storyteller. And so he's definitely into, like, eyeballing his characters and sniffing his candles and just doing his weird soundtrack choices. Like, it's a, it's a, <laughs> it's a weird hedonistic sensual experience in a way that is sort of closer to Lynch, except... You know, Lynch is kind of less of a jock meathead, um, you know, who doesn't read comic books. So I think I think there's there's uh, there's so much there to unpack. But for me, part of what I enjoyed about Justice League, the four hour experience was um, how much there were things to be enjoyed or savored that didn't necessarily that that then more or less um lost their luster if you tried to put them in the context of oh but this is you know this doesn't need to be in this story you know this needs to be cut out of this story but What's weird and I think interesting, because to me, one could say that part of the failure of Whedon's Justice League is Whedon is trying to, quote unquote, tell a story. Like, there's things that he's trying to deliver and do, but he's got goals that in in the movie, even if some of them it looks like is apparently humiliate the actors, you know, to teach them a lesson. And Snyder has... His goals are much more amorphous and therefore, I mean, there's just things like I'm sure you noticed, uh, or maybe you can confirm for me that this is the case. The sequence in which the sort of right-wing terrorists invade that museum in London or whatever Mm -hmm. and Wonder Woman stops them is more or less the same sequence but the difference is is that Snyder's sequence is genuinely gripping. Like in and it's, the Whedon it, ones kinda ugh. It is and isn't the same sequence. Interesting. There's a there is, unsurprisingly for, for a version of a film, a lot more in yeah. the Snyder version. Mm-hmm. Um a lot more on every on every side of the, the action sequence, for want of a better way of putting it. Mm-hmm. And um Whedon in his rush to to get to the meat and mm-hmm. to keep the movie under two hours. Right. I think cuts out too much. He does. I think he does because even if, like, because I think that there, for one thing, one of the things that Snyder did in that sequence that takes a lot, a huge amount of time is more or less builds up a tremendous amount of reasons why it's okay for Diana just to flat out kill these guys, Right. And I think, and that includes like when they jump in and they do the heist. I mean, it's practically like a little mini version of of the opening robbery in Dark Knight. It's all this incredibly punctual but super violent sequence where these terrorists take over this building and literally are gunning down people left and right. And you even see them getting to the point where they're just happy to gun down people. That's their desire. So that when Wonder Woman so clearly explodes that uh, the main ringleader and his hat comes down, you're supposed to like not feel any qualms 
And so I can understand cutting a huge chunk of that out, but there was just a lot of the the editing, the visual editing, the editing and the pacing, even though it was, like you said, a much longer sequence, it felt either exactly the same size or more concise than Ween's version, you know, because it was sort of always interesting. Like the, the number of sequences and to me in Justice League where you're like a shot, it, like Snyder is just like going to be like, oh, what's the most interesting way to tell this shot? How about we have somebody start by like, I don't even remember what it is, like pulling a scarf out of a box and you pull back and you see the room and then you pull back some more. And Whedon's kind of like, you know, exterior shot, interior shot. You know what I mean? Or or am I wrong in my memories of that? No, no, you're not wrong in your memories of that. Also, Whedon, again, I assume this is because he has to keep the movie to under two hours. Mm-hmm. Um, he has a lot more just outright exposition. Mm-hmm. He eliminates a lot of the... And, and the Snyder Cut has arguably too much of this, but the Snyder Cut takes a lot of diversions. You know, oh, God, yeah. Many diversions. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But the Snyder Cut also, bless it, is occasionally weird in the diversions it takes oh very but, much so mm-hmm. uh in an enjoyably in an enjoyable way yeah you know like it it goes interesting and very often stupid routes mm-hmm. to places mm-hmm. but you don't have characters basically come on and say i found this thing and this has happened and therefore this has happened so we must go here mm-hmm. and the whedon film is filled with that mm-hmm. the whedon film feels like it is uh, i'm trying to think of a nice way of saying this the whedon film feels like it's someone's first film and mm-hmm. they come from television mm-hmm. and the snyder film for all its faults feels like a film yeah oh yeah absolutely i i mean uh, yes i agree it's also weird because there are things about it that feel like a film that aren't necessarily the things about it that make it feel like a story or a good story like I, I, yeah but i think that's been true of all the snyder films to be honest well i guess you know like i i i one of the enjoyable question mark things about batman versus superman is as a narrative it's it's just full of like random weird shit well right have you seen but, the his full three-hour cut but, though or uh, I have not, or and I've also not seen the new cut that came out on Thursday. Oh, God. I, really? I don't know if you know this. On the same day that HBO Max dropped Justice League, mm-hmm. they dropped a new cut of Batman vs. Superman, which is in the same uh, picture format as Justice League, i.e. IMAX format, but also has been recolor graded. Wow. Okay. Huh. Well, um, so so my understanding, and this is something, again, one of the things they think is maybe a little bit nefarious and passive-aggressive about Zack Snyder is he will deliver, again, the 30-second Mountain Dew Justice League commercial, 30-second uh, commercial, or the two-hour movie, but they won't, they won't make sense. Like, honestly... Well, that's that's yeah. what I was going to say. Mm-hmm. Like, the Batman vs. Superman... The narrative doesn't really make sense, right? You know, it you you get from you get from point A and point, to point B, and you understand how you got there. But there's things like you know the Martha reveal in Batman versus Superman, mm-hmm. or honestly, like the Lex Luthor to Doomsday stuff, mm-hmm. which mm-hmm. if you think about it too long and too long is a minute, 
<laughs> you're left you're left going, wait. Huh. But uh somehow emotionally they make sense, I guess. Like they they work they work on a weird dream logic. Mm. Right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And and Justice League Arguably works in a more logical sense than the than the, the theatrical version. Uh, well, least, yeah, yeah, in no, some no, ways. No, but mm-hmm. at, at least things like why the mother boxes are suddenly a, a quote unquote awake again. It, there's a reason. It's actually given a reason. In the Whedon cut, it's not. Oh yeah, right, right. Mm-hmm. Um, the what Steppenwolf is trying to do makes a lot more sense in the, in the Snyder cut. Because in the Whedon cut, again, because the Motherbox stuff isn't explained, the explanation basically given is Steppenwolf is a conqueror. He once got his ass beat and then decided to come back because the world is sad because Superman died. Right. Yeah. Which is... Okay? <laughs> I well, mean, don't get me wrong. Superman dies and the Motherbox has realized that there's no Kryptonian to protect Earth. Makes no sense because what? why didn't they just call it Steppenwolf? before Superman landed. Oh, right. Yeah, that's a good point. Right? Yeah, right. <laughs> like, that yeah. also doesn't make sense. And there mm-hmm. is technically a workaround, but it's super in the weeds, if, like, if you really follow the, the, the rabbit hole. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, so... so uh, but at the same time, I like the idea of Superman's death is what triggered this. Right. You know, like, that, that works for me. Mm-hmm. Um, like, can we go into spoilers here or not? I mean, I think we should. I, f- I, uh, I apologize, everyone, but I feel at, like, at, yeah. Mm-hmm. In the climax, mm-hmm. I like that ultimately it's Cyborg and Flash that saves the world. Mm-hmm. Um, I like that it's the emotional payoff for Cyborg's story, but also the emotional payoff for Flash's story. Mm-hmm. You know, that works for me. It also gives both of those characters something to do. Yes. Mm-hmm. You know, which they don't have in the Whedon cut. Mm-hmm. And again, when we're talking about things that they cut that are weird, why do you cut that out? Like the 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 basically the Justice League fails and Flash basically gets her do over by running backwards in time mm-hmm. was maybe the one surprising part of the film for me. Mm-hmm. And I liked it. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. No, I, I I mean there's. There's just a there's just a fuck ton. So yeah, again, full full spoilers on. Uh, it's interesting how much, um, like the stuff with Flash seems the point where Whedon is just it's uh, is being weirdly territorial or something. Like I think he looked at the original cut. And was like, you know, most of this Flash stuff works. I want to do my version of it, you know? Like, because there's a lot that part of me is like, even if you cut for time, like, some of the... Just some of the Flash stuff works well. The Cyborg is so... Um, it's it's interesting how much the first Again, it's all in the timing. The first hour or two hours of the movie of of the Snyder Cut, you're like, "Well, Cyborg's still in the apartment." I mean, that's shockingly close to how much um, it's 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 weird. Like, it's, it's the Cyborg stuff is 
almost 100% different from the Whedon cut. Oh, yeah, completely, completely. No, 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 they put they put him in, well, I assume, because they, they have the apartment, they've got scenes with his dad, but it's so clearly, like, even a cheaper set. Like, it's just... <laughs> There's, I didn't realize until watching the Whedon cut again mm-hmm. today, um, the Whedon cut starts with, with uh, oh, Jesus, Cyber dad. Mm-hmm. And it's obviously a shot from the Snyder film, right? Because it's, it's right. Cyborg looking at the window and his dad's talking to him. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then when it, like, the conversation continues, so it's, we, it's Cyborg talking to the dad and it pans back to the dad and the dad talks and you get a close up on the dad. And then it cuts back to Cyborg, who is now inexplicably in the kitchen staring at the stove. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, did no one catch it? And then I thought, well, I didn't catch it. I've seen this film twice. Yeah, right? So I mean, uh, no, but yeah. it, it is like that 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 stuff is is very different because uh, uh, Whedon has Cyborg having had his moment of realization. So as soon as you see Cyborg, he is already like, "Well, I can talk to every computer in the world," and he becomes this uh, like he's sneaking and hacking into everything, and he's really untrustworthy. Mm-hmm. Which is is very much not where Snyder was going with it with the character. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, fact the fact that C- Cyborg thinks that he is a monster, but also is entirely closed off from everything, and then has to be told by a recording from his father that you can hack into everything, is is one of the revolution uh, revolutionary moments for Cyborg in the film, and one of the evolutionary moments for Cyborg in the film. And Whedon just starts from there and weirdly makes Victor shadier. <laughs> right. Yeah. Until he has an about face, which in the film comes from his dad's been kidnapped. And in, sorry, in the Snyder version comes from his dad's been kidnapped. And in the Whedon version comes from, I guess, Wonder Woman got through to him. Mm. Mm. Mm-hmm. You know? Mm-hmm. It's, it's such a weird thing where Whedon... And I don't think this is cutting for time. I think this is, he just, I think Whedon looks at Cyborg as a, a plot device. Right. As the character. Right. No, again, one of the things that I think is uh, interesting about the Snyder Cut is everybody gives much better performances. I yes. mean, I deliver much better performances. The performances are edited better. And to the extent that Flash and Cyborg get more of stories about what motivates them, um, what I find interesting is by the time you get to the end of it, it doesn't really... Like it, most of that stuff I can't really say lands much better. What lands are the performances. I think I think Ray Fisher gives a surprisingly great performance in the Snyder yes. Cut of Cyborg. Yes. You know, yeah. yeah, I I think I think he's he has to shoulder a lot of the film. Yeah, but he does it really well, really well, really well. And 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 what I think is great is there's a lot in the performance there's there's a, a lot of the story for that character is told through Fisher's performance rather than through the a lot of the other stuff you know there's there's a there's a scene where 
he and Barry are exhuming Clark Kent's body. And um, Barry's kind of like, hey, Wonder Woman, do you think she'd be with a younger guy? And he's like, technically, they're all, we're all younger guys. And there's, it's just such, it's such good line delivery because it, the gradations of someone who starts that conversation basically being closed off and that conversation closed off, but more open is, is it's just, it's just a needle fine. Like maybe I'm imagining it, but it really does help sell because part of, you know, Cyborg's showdown with the mother boxes is, is, is pretty interesting and dramatic and, progressive uh in in ways that <laughs> that absolutely joss whedon does not deliver you know yeah or, or seems also, to have like, no interest even, in delivering yeah that's what i was gonna say doesn't yeah even try and deliver no it, not at all right in again something that makes sense in the snyder cut and doesn't in the whedon cuts is how cyborg can separate the boxes right right there's an emotional component to it in the snyder cut Right, he's basically convincing them to do it, and they speak through emotions. That's what the scene is with. Well, if you give in to us, you can have the family, and he pushes back. Like I am not broken. Right. Right. I'm not broken. I have a family. Yeah. And in the Whedon cut, all of that is absent. Mm-hmm. He just does a tech thing, mm-hmm. and then Superman helps to separate them. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. So he doesn't actually serve a purpose. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Because again. Whedon sees Cyborg as a plot device. He mm-hmm. sees him as a prop. Yeah. For, honestly, Superman, question mark? But even in the Whedon film, Superman... The Whedon film ultimately doesn't have characters. It maybe has Batman, and it has one woman as someone for Batman to spar with slash be ogled. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that's about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and again, because I think, because that is that is the problem. Like the the Whedon's cut of the Justice League, you can see, you can fucking see the whiteboard on it. You know, it's like okay, it's got to have more humor. Okay, there's got to be a real sense that we have lost superman and losing superman means losing something essential losing hope question mark yeah exactly you know circle and then leading to various things yeah it's it's whedon's justice league perhaps through necessity perhaps it was unavoidable feels just hopelessly cynical yeah compared with steiner's uh, justice league which feels ridiculously emotional yeah, yeah, ridiculously emotional. Um, which is the, which is the weird thing about Zack Snyder's Justice League is, at the same time, it's a weird, fucked up, cynical little movie. Uh, uh, as I think the epilogue decides to double or triple down. On. Oh God, the epilogue is just. Isn't that a thing? You know, one of the things that I think is really funny about that epilogue and about Zack Snyder is I'm like, oh, this is the problem with Zack Snyder is he is a comic book movie director who actually reads the comics. He's not lying like the rest of them do. He's actually telling the truth. Like, he was like, 
oh, last night on Earth, last night on Earth was cool with like Joker Razin, a post-apocalyptic Batman. I got to get that in there. And Injustice, fucking Injustice. I love Injustice. Let's get some Injustice going on in here. Can I get a hell yeah? And And it's just, you're just like... No, Zack Snyder, no, you've got to calm it down. Like, I mean, part of the problem is, is like, he and he and Jim Lee should, like, not be allowed in the same room together because their conception of what is cool and the heights of, like, what DC can aspire to be, which is the emotional connection of Injustice, the video game, is a, is a little alarming for DC, I would think. You know, on the other hand it there is less of the you are being told like oh you gotta hope you gotta hope you gotta hope gotta gotta have hope you gotta have love there's nothing without love and hope you know like snyder is at least going to go and i don't know like show you things or something like I, I if nothing else there's a there was a lot in the four-hour cut where i'm like i i do like these people you know and that is that thing that i think that snyder is super good at the technical components of filmmaking including making his actors be aware that they are visually charismatic things to gaze upon. I mean, along with everything else, along with every other piece and part of his compositions, which for the most part are designed to be things that are aesthetically pleasing or interesting. Um, you know, you get to that point where the part of what kind of, to me, works about Justice League, Snyder's Justice League is there's no like there's no the male gaze is is as much counterposed by i guess a female gaze or a male version of of that you know that bisexual swinger hedonist thing one of the things that was great is it's clear he likes the male form and the male body just as much as he enjoyed like the all the stuff going on with the Amazons was like, he goes to great lengths to make sure that you see it more than one um, female six pack in that movie, which is great. But also Gail Godot walking around wearing things that are just looks where she looks just great. And there's no reason for her to be doing whatever the hell she's doing. I mean, there sort of maybe is like, oh, hold this spear and look pensive while wearing this like amazing black dress. And you're like, I felt 90% less creepy noticing that because there were shots where I was like, man, did Zack Snyder make out with Jason Momoa as soon as he yelled cut? Because it sure looks like it and and who could blame him you know and so that's that part too is kind of great um there's some i i yeah sorry i was going to say i want a really basic question did you like this film and also did you watch it in one sitting i did uh, i did watch it in one sitting which is to say i think at one point i took a break to make a sandwich 
So I never stayed out of the film for longer than 10 minutes. And I think I'm, you know, had a few pee breaks and, and a few points where uh, the wife came in and, and talked to me. But yeah, I basically saw it all as one thing. And... And like, and weirdly enough, in a, I knew that I was putting away four hours of my life to it. There may be a lot of. I was like, this is going to be such a miserable experience. Like I remember seeing Batman v Superman: Dawn of Justice in the theater, and it just being excruciating. And Man of Steel, pretty much the, you know, arguably a little better, you know, than that. And so I was like. Ugh. And this had just, I mean, part of it is is that it just had so much more stuff. But like I said, I also feel that there was a certain amount of, um, I just felt like I was watching a different beast. If I was sitting in a movie theater watching Zack Snyder's Justice League and it was four hours, even if there was an intermission, there's a chance that I very well could have, you know, set myself on fire even before the first intermission. But in the house where you're watching it on a screen, there's, to me, there was a weird amount of, okay, I'm here because I quote unquote want to be here. And, and, and it weirdly did start feeling like something again, you know, it's nothing compared to the 18 hours of, Twin Peaks: The Return, which admittedly was doled out an hour at a time, and I think. Yeah. yeah, exactly. But I mean, but Lynch has shots of people sweeping the floor for seven minutes at a time. So part of me was like, "Yeah, I, I got this handled," you know. And of course, you know, there was so much about. Like I said, it was just it was just visually satisfying to watch. I was surprised by. Um, you know, Michael Bay did that movie for Netflix with Ryan Reynolds, and I can't even remember oh, what Six it's... Underground. Six Underground, right? That movie kind of was stunk. And I, it, it to me, even by the standards of Michael Bay stand, standards, like I, I like my Michael Bay movies of a certain stripe. I can't put myself into Pearl Harbor, but, you know... Transformers, Bad Boys, whatever. I'm I'm down with it. So I was like, oh, this is going to be great, and it was such a um. It just it just it was it was it was Michael Bay trying too hard, I think, in a lot of ways to kind of do. Uh, I'm delivering a Michael Bay movie for Netflix, and you're, it's going to be indistinguishable from a movie. In fact, it's going to be even more so of a movie than most of my other movies. And 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 Snyder's thing is again, it was an aesthetic experience. But part of that for me also works because almost nothing else really makes sense to me. Like the there is so much going on with parents and fathers and sons and mothers and daughters in Justice League that makes almost no sense. Like, I mean, it is it is just about at the level of who cares, which combined with the other level of, 
you know, like Steppenwolf is going to fuck shit up. And if Darkseid gets through, shit's really going to get fucked up. Except somehow we were able to beat Darkseid earlier back when we didn't even have the Justice League. But never mind that. This is going to be like seriously bad that, shit. That had Green Lanterns and Gods. Yeah, I mean, again, I... But ugh. like the Gods wouldn't come and help now? Right? Why not? Like, what happened? Like, there's just so much... Again, it kind of makes quote-unquote sense more along the lines of here's this huge buffet where, you know, Snyder gets to, like, dollop on, you know, the the Lord of the Rings stuff that, you know, he was sniffing glue to back at the turn of the 20th century, 21st century, you know? And, and so it quote-unquote kind of makes sense in the hand-wavy, oh, it's all mythological. But, you know, like the the fathers and son stuff like never was it so prevalent for as far as i can tell like literally almost no reason like i looking this up i didn't realize but but zack snyder is three weeks younger than uh edie and which makes him about eight months to seven months older than me and eight months and he is like profoundly Gen X in his ability to more or less come off like a sensitive, considerate cream puff who cares about people, but also is so deeply wedded to conservative horseshit that he's not even paying attention to like all the father son mother daughter stuff everything in justice league it's all parental quote-unquote issues of which the issues are like my parents are great i miss them so or my parent i thought sucked and then i realized that they don't suck because they have they 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 care about the same things i care about they just couldn't show that they cared you know, like it's kind of a it, the Justice League would be a huge group hug if it wasn't for the fact that for me, Snyder's movies are like in so deeply xenophobic. Like I've never quite gotten how xenophobic Snyder is, at, like it, except for the fact that it is kind of the default assumption for every one of his movies is is like there's a stranger they're going to invade we have to look out there's going to be an invasion like i i won't even get into the weirdness of justice league this movie which came out in a weird benjamin button flash running backwards through time turn of events really feels like the next movie that Zack snyder should make is watchmen because Watchmen feels like such a reaction to Zack Snyder's Justice League, despite the fact that they are like what a dozen years apart. But it's it's all the, all the same stuff that is making people jump through hoops in Justice League without thinking about it is precisely the stuff that people are manipulated to by to to in Watchmen. Like and and also Watchmen for being a piss take on the superhero movies didn't really make sense. Makes sense now because it looks like a piss take 
of Zack Snyder's Justice League, where yeah, everything's but, but happening Snyder, in slow mo. Yeah, Snyder Watchman was never a piss take. Well, no, but I mean, if you if you if you see him, he kind of does like some of his interviews are like, no, this is me. Like his thing is kind of the way that. Watchmen deconstructed the superhero comic of the 80s. Watchmen, the movie, is here to deconstruct the superhero movie. And maybe he was just being glib, as, you know, to sell it in, you know, that's what he sold the producers on it, you know. And, and so that's the pitch he took into his various profiles and things. But, you know, it's, it makes more sense now to me that you that but the idea that Watchmen was made before this movie and yet this movie's made like again there's a lot to there's a lot of really profound uh, like I said kind of weird xenophobia that goes on in uh in Justice League like which is why I think the epilogue which seems to suggest in this whatever weirdo dream sequence slash future foreshadowing thing um, is kind of Snyder. Snyder talks about how great Superman is, but it's really clear that Snyder does not trust Superman. Like that is just a thing that he cannot wrap his brain around. Um, And, and so it makes sense because, because, because Superman is an alien, he is other. And for Snyder's weird, like... Okay, but how yeah. does the Martian Manhunter stuff play into that, then? Well, that is a good question. I would I, say... I have to say, yeah. from my point of view, uh, I, watched, I watched Snyder's Justice League in two parts. I started it, and then I had to take a break about an hour in, because uh-huh. I had something to do. And then I came <laughs> like back... Like, circulate blood. No. <laughs> No, 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 literally, like, I had to go out and pick something up. Okay. Um, but, so I, I came back, like, maybe 20 minutes later, and then I watched the next, like, three hours in one go. And it's fair to say, that, like, I felt just flattened after it. Mm-hmm. I was exhausted. I was, like, I did. I felt pummeled by it. Oh, yeah. It's a pummel. Um, but the funny thing is that, the like, one of the seven epilogues is Martian Manhunter <laughs> talking to Bruce Wayne. Right. And Ben Affleck's performance is so flat. Yeah. And devoid of anything resembling any emotion other than I'm so tired, please leave me alone. Mm-hmm. That I felt I empathized with him so much. <laughs> in, in theory, <laughs> like an alien comes down to him and is like, I've been manipulating things all along. You're doing the right thing. I'm from Mars. Mm-hmm. Catch you later, and he's like, "Yep, sure. See you later." But I'm, I'm. You got me up. I was having, a, I had a nightmare. Mm-hmm. Uh, you got me up. I've, I've just got to get a coffee or something, and I'll get back to you because I'm really fucking tired. Right. And I felt that so hard. Mm-hmm. But, um, but yeah, the the Martian <laughs> Manhunter thing. A, I think, kind of refutes what you're saying, uh, or at least is in some opposition to it. But B, is again utterly unnecessary to the film <laughs> yeah no I, I think it is unnecessary to the film it it's definitely a thread that snyder is putting in place to what extent that's that thread exists i mean again i, mean, I what's that shows up, marshman hunter shows up twice in the film yes one having been 
Clark's mother in disguise because right. Lois needs to go back out, mm-hmm. which is weird. And again, that's another plot. Like that's one of the plot threads I would cut if I was if you asked me to make a shorter version of the film. Right. But but then he shows up in this epilogue to be like, Bruce. You 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 got the team together. Good job, Bruce. I'm so glad you did. I was like, oh, they're never going to get together. And then you fucking got them together. Great. I'm from Mars. See you later. What? Well, <laughs> Bruce Wade is so bored by that conversation. Right. Right. I I would say that there's possibly something different, and it really depends on how much Snyder is going to be loyal or faithful with the character slash characters. But for me, there is Martian Manhunter is set up to look like a good guy, but is not Um, because he shows up as, as Martha to tell Lois Lane, like you've got to go back in the world and we, you know, you have to, you have to reach the world needs you basically. And then leaves, turns into Martian Manhunter and and fucks off. Lois is, has been in mourning, not going to work and has been visiting the Superman monument day in, day out, day in, day out, day in, day out, day in, day out. She goes the last time to say goodbye, more or less because, you know, Martha Manhunter managed to convince her like to participate in the world if she had done if she had not gone that very last time if she just fucked back off back to work superman would have been revived at the monument would have been revived gone to the monument killed the justice league and turned into like a killing swath of destruction right but because lois was there uh, he wasn't, but she wasn't supposed to be there. Martian Manhunter was trying to lead her away. Similarly, at the end of the movie, we have a sequence not unlike the first sequence where in in Batman v Superman, where Batman's in a future world where everything is shit and it looks like Darkseid and Superman are working in cahoots. At the end of... Justice League, Steppenwolf is fuck, you know, literally beheaded and thrown back to Darkseid. The portal is shut. Darkseid's completely pissed off. Superman and Batman should be on the same side. Batman then goes and has another dream, which, again, it ties into this Lois Lane is the key idea. And in which Superman is once again like a bad rampaging shit who's killed all these people. Right after that, Martian Manhunter pops up, who is a telepath, more or less says to Bruce Wayne, hey, you did all this great stuff, I'm there for you. Bruce, who, like you said, looks completely exhausted and I think is supposed to, it's supposed to be as if he is under the influence which is to say that that John Jones, Martian Manhunter, is putting those dreams telepathically in Bruce's head because he is actively trying to bust up the 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 quote unquote Justice League. He's the he is that sort of sleeper agent or has some other complete thing going on. But 
here's where I have a question mm-hmm. and I have an opposing point of view. Sure. Question number one, outside of the Jeff Johns New 52 era, when was Martian Manhunter a bad guy? I mean, uh, well, I'll I'll tell you where he was kind of a bad guy is, and this is, I'm sure, one of Zack Snyder's urtexts, the Alan Moore pitch for Twilight. So put that in your pipe and smoke it, Graham McMillan. Because you know I that would. an unpublished I, I, pitch by Alan Moore is more important to Zack Snyder than... I would because <laughs> uh, I've also read an interview with Snyder where he said what the, basically his plot for the next two films were if he had, he had a chance to make them. Right, which uh, would be what? Because I should have read those. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's not really <laughs> at all. Right. <laughs> Go for it! Tell me! Tell me! Where's it going? Is uh, it Spider... Is Superman... Yeah, Batman was basically having premonitions of what was going to happen. Mm-hmm. And by the third movie, that would have happened. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, there was a convoluted Bruce Wayne would have an affair with Lois plot in there as well. Oh, is that part of uh, the... And Oof. Lois was going to die, mm-hmm. and that would turn Superman evil because then Darkseid would use the anti-life equation on him. Mm. So it was actually premonition shit. And mm-hmm. not Martian Manhunter doing anything. Martian Manhunter was a good guy. Yeah. Yeah, maybe. I mean, let's put it this way. I'm sure that's what Snyder is telling people, and I'm sure that he's really <laughs> right. Love you're like, I'm sure that's what he's telling people, but he's actually... He might be, Graham! He oh, might be! My... I'm not saying he is. I'm just saying he might be. He might be lying. <laughs> might be lying. But again, part of me is... But this does bring it back to that thing of like... Snyder does not trust Superman. Like he is Superman no, not, is no. Snyder Snyder is is I I think just doesn't quite get his head around the idea of like Superman is just a good guy. Yeah. Absolutely not. I think, I think that's something he he genuinely has problems with. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And it, uh, yep. And in fact, I would say that to the extent that Justice League is um, as long as I dip my toe into the overthinking it situation, Graham, I'm gonna I'm gonna bust out a can of whoop ass if you're ready, and and tell I you I'm ready. So here's all right. So uh, blah 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 goes evil again. Blah blah blah. Let's talk about Snyder being a nice guy and a sweet guy, but he's the only dude I know where xenophobia is a a priori assumption in every movie that I've seen. The whole Atlantean Amazon vibe. As part of the reason the trouble has uh, team has trouble coming together, the ongoing emphasis on invasion is the only valid reason for everyone to bond together. Parentheses. Underneath all of Snyder's Renfair enthusiasm, there seems to be a genuine prevailing belief that war is the unifier of cultures and war is the only mechanism of progress that works. Which is probably with the obsession of Superman and how weirdly handled he is. Nobody can ever really accept Superman because everything about him is not us. So in other words, Superman is... Wait, hang on. What are you reading? Oh, these are my notes. Okay. (laughs) I was like, you're clearly reading something, but I don't know what you're reading. Wouldn't it be great? I'm like... Take to the internet, Graham. I, I'm reading no, I, Lex I Luthor's blog. Like you found like an essay, or you'd found yes. like an interview or something that you were quoting from. Yeah. Um, no, no. This is this is all me reading off of my phone. 
uh, because I'm worried that if I try and present it in different orders, things will get screwed up. Weirdly and tragically, Snyder does not understand the immigrant fantasy at the heart of Superman. If you come to America and you are literally a modern citizen, model citizen, you will be loved. He gives lip service to it and to the idea of loving Superman, but that's not what Superman presents throughout the movie. In fact, the most potentially progressive part of Justice League is the idea that it's a movie in which Superman becomes kind of an allegory about white colonization. Instead of a bunch of white dudes coming to from their shitty climate to a better one and fucking up the cultures that are there, we get one white guy who shows up and works to uphold it in part because he married a native. But you always have to keep an eye on the white guy because if you don't keep him invested in the community, bang, evil Superman. As Bruce says, Lois Lane is the key. And so, but weirdly, Zack Snyder's Justice League is a movie by a rich white guy showing us a multicultural world in which the path, the emotional arc of the rich white guy in the movie is don't trust Superman, white guy, because he's not from around here to no, I was wrong. He's one of the good ones. And what we need, what we need what he has to offer to no, I was wrong again. That dude is going to go bad the second we take away his access to top shelf pussy. Sorry, everyone, for the Quentin Tarantino-ness, but I thought that was too funny. In short, Zack Snyder is Bruce Wayne. He sees how the world is going and what's important, uniting it, because that's how he stays rich, this is Snyder, and inculcating his and white America's values, because that's the way the non-white future will let him stay rich. All this makes more sense to me than the father-mother-family stuff the movie is riddled with and is very thorny to look at in the wake of his daughter's suicide. And yet, there is an overwhelming belief that you have to accept your parents' values, and if you don't, it's okay because you'll learn they had the same values all along. So, yes, Superman, bad, Zack Snyder, Bruce Wayne, rich white people, good because they're futurists, which is to say they can see the future is non-white and therefore it's very important that they unite people against white aliens. The end. I feel like you have given me a lot to think about. (laughs) Some of those thoughts are, why am I podcasting with this maniac? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm just going to read you my essay, and then I want you to have a response to it. That's right, Graham. Get going. Choppity chop. Um, Yeah, Uh, no. Mm -hmm. Funny funny enough, one of the first things I thought was, like, I'm not sure it has the... I don't think it necessarily has the message of you must accept your parents' values. Mm. In fact, I would argue it might actually have the opposite message, at least in some of the stories. Mm-hmm. I think in the Flash thread, mm-hmm. and I think that in the Superman thread as well, weirdly enough, mm-hmm. uh, you, you get an opposing uh, an opposing point of view. Well, um, I, yeah. But, but again, you then look to something like... Um, Cyborg, one hundred percent, is 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 a uh, mm-hmm. is a story about accepting your parentage, and mm-hmm. it's a story about, as you said, like your parents basically had the same values as you all along. Mm-hmm. 
Right. So, so like there are threads of that there. It's just that I don't think those are the only threads. Mm-hmm. I think that the the idea of family is very present in the entire film, and I think the idea of parents and children is. I just don't think it's exactly the direction you think it is. Oh, I mean, like I said, I barely. What's weird is how prevalent it is, but doesn't really seem especially thoughtful. And again, part of that is I think Snyder not really having especially deep thoughts in a in a certain way or really not having an interest in you know well i i, I part of it is also i i think this is where you can say not having an interest and in. i think snyder is uh malleable on his ultimate goal i don't think he necessarily has a, a coherent operating theory you yeah okay you know mm-hmm. um I mean, but, I would agree with you, but yeah. I, I don't know. I, 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 I totally see what you're saying with the xenophobia thing. I do. Mm-hmm. I'm just not sure how much I buy into it. I, it makes sense. I mean, it's how do uh, I put it? In it, large part because yeah. I got much more of a a really sort of bland thing uh, that Superman thread is about power, mm-hmm. and as in is, is about might makes right as. And Steppenwolf and Darkseid tie into that as well. Mm-hmm. And that you have a much, honestly, blander argument about you can't trust those who have the power. Hmm. hmm. I, I don't think it's necessarily... I don't think it is a xenophobic thing. And I, and I think that when you have the... Again, this is very um generic or very dull but like the 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 textual theme of justice league is that the tribes have to come together <laughs> the only by uniting right well is survival, but, is survival possible yes but that's right? his thing I, yeah mm-hmm. no i understand i understand you're saying like that's the text but the subtext is something more xenophobic i understand what you're saying well, no, but I mean, I'm also saying there's only one way for the cultures to come together, and that is through this version of, you know, semi-fascistic nationalism, which is the idea that you are being threatened from the outside, and that the language that is being used. But I, I, I don't think I don't think that's what it was saying. I think it was saying that it was the threat from outside that made people accept what they should have been all along. I so I think the point is is not that the people could only come together when there is an external threat, as much as it has. The point is to have always been united. And divisions came in when people got essentially distracted. Like I, it, it felt more. Uh, less threat from ex- outside and more reminder. I guess I, I can't. I can't properly explain it. I do, I think it felt less pessimistic and less fear filled. Although you know, it's a fucking you know superhero movie slash thriller slash. You need the external threat. Right. But, True. You're but gonna have I, that. Yeah. You know. I. I think that. I'm not sure it was as dire, but. Again, you know, I say that, but it's a film about a fucking alien invasion. You know? It's a film so- about an alien invasion, but, like, did you catch how, like, uh, Wonder Woman 
starts ta- it who is of course our ambassador of peace and love is saying weirdly racist things about Aquaman early on in the movie like but that not meant to be a sign about how things people have become more divided and then they have to overcome it well sh- yes by a future greater threat to me it's a sign that Wonder Woman you know the person who is that essentially being I personally was like, yeah, I mean, it's not like Snyder's like, oh, yeah, and that's good. He's aware that xenophobia is not great. I'm just saying that as a Gen X knucklehead. It's not a a pro-xenophobia film, let me get this straight. Well, no, but see, that's, I mean, that's the thing that is weird about about Snyder is, is he is a... He is Mr. Anti-Xenophobia, like, you know, let's all be awesome. But the, but the fact of the matter is, is he does not really think that that is possible for a variety of reasons, I think. Well, I, 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 think I think I'm more forgiving than you, but at the same time, you also have to look at the fact that a lot of Snyder's fans are shit, <laughs> you know? Well, yeah. Uh, xenophobes and shits and so it is impossible to deny that that is there yeah i mean mean, like like you can't feed that audience mm -hmm. like just just this week he actually did a thing uh, a live stream where like in the middle of life and he's like i just want to stand up against hate or blah 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 and you don't say that unless you are aware that your audience is getting that yeah i mean like you you don't see i i mean i can't think of anyone russell davis (laughs) Mm-hmm. Setting up, I mean, like, I'm glad you all like it's a sin, but just remember, bigotry is bad. <laughs> you know, like, right. he doesn't need to say that. So I, I, I do get your point. I genuinely do. Mm-hmm. It's just I'm not. I don't think that's necessarily one of the themes of Justice League, or at least I don't think that's an intentional theme. Right. Well, right. That's something that, mm-hmm. that he's that he's meaning to to. It's not a message he's meaning to impart. But it's it's. I think your case is so strong that it would be stupid of me to suggest that it's not a, a message that people can read into. Oh, yeah. No, I, well, I, I just also think that it's important that what's Snyder a little bit, a little bit like Bruce Wayne, like, is a little bit aware of, like, I need you to be on my side, you know? he's a, He is a political dude in just a hard to see in a, in a very meat-headed way. Not political in the sense of vote for this person, vote for that no, person, no, no, but, but you yeah. know what I mean. And so, and but I also do think that, how do I put it? Yeah, the, that what I'm saying is looking at a lot of Snyder's oeuvre, and I gotta admit, I have not, I haven't seen Sucker Punch or Guardians of the Hululi, you know, um, that he's got, that he has, uh, to me, as kind of basically a meathead auteur, um, his his privilege comes through in a lot of ways. And one of those privileges is that thing that, you know, we're all used to, to people being berated at on Twitter, which is they say one thing, but when you look at what they're doing, you're realizing they're looking, they're, they're acting from places where they are not examining their privilege. And I do sure. think that, think that there's a 
big chunk of that, where I think that Snyder's theories and beliefs and the things that shape him, he, I think, would and is genuinely horrified by the idea that people are going to use it as, you know, as messages of, like, yeah, hate is good, or xenophobia, like, fear the other. And I think that I think that Snyder keeps trying to figure out ways to tap into that by making the other less and less, uh, more and more alien, you know? And, uh, but, but yeah, but at the same time, I think he doesn't really, to the extent that he is either trying to have it both ways, which I think is genuinely the case with Snyder. Like one of the things that I really enjoyed about his adaptation of 300, in fact, was how much it really depended. If you wanted to give him the benefit of the doubt, it was a semi-critique satire of nationalism or if you didn't want to look at it that way, it was the wholehearted, deep tongue kiss of Frank Miller's, you know, various xenophobic nationalist fantasies, you know, run rampant, you know. And I think Snyder is at least smart enough to know how to have something that can cut both ways. But I think at the same time, he's not actually self-reflective enough to be able to unpack that i think he's very much like oh but my intentions are good you know again it's it's a it's a lot like people of my generation where it's like no we're not bad guys we love our kids you know but that is not the it's 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 you gotta be willing to unpack yourself a little bit more than that so um, which, again, by contrast, one of the things that's amazing about Twin Peaks The Return is how much David Lynch um, unpacks a lot of shit about himself and about America in ways that, you know, Justice League will just never get around to. It doesn't matter how many movies you go down the road of. So, anywho, uh I feel like there was something else I was cutting you off from making point-wise about justice league and I, unfortunately i'm hoping you remember what it is if not i'll have to um... i genuinely don't so I, I i think we're going to have to move on also part of me is like how 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 did we how did we talk for an hour about justice dude i was gonna i figured this was gonna take a full episode i'm still ready for it to take a full episode i'm like did you even did you notice uh, i don't even know if this is confirmed or not but granny goodness's hot dog cart um what yeah, uh, someone had a screenshot of, you know, the hot dog cart that gets hit during the Flash introduction sequence. Um, oh, my God. I hope that's true. Yeah, the sign on the side of the cart is it's like Granny Goodness's tube steaks. So, um, which, I, again, hope that that's true. I think that's amazing. Also, Zack Snyder needs to go to needle drop jail because I literally screamed aloud with, at some of his soundtrack choices, like Song of the Siren during the Flash sequence was like where I was like, I think I yelled, oh, come on. But that was the second time because when that Nick Cave song started playing during Aquaman, 
I lost my shit, Graham. Oh, I lost I, I, I my shit. I gotta tell you, watching it with Chloe was hilarious because she was just like, ah! <laughs> the music yeah. choices uh, were something that drove her absolutely insane. I have, weirdly enough, gotten used to Zack Snyder's absolutely fucking insane music choices. Oh my god. And, and so then I was he like, oh. sure, whatever. Then he manages to find another version of Hallelujah. Oh, the Hallelujah version on that was his most. It was his most insufferable version yet, and it didn't even have like those two creepy, non-charismatic people, you know, fornicating on screen. And it was creepier. Who was it who was singing that? Oh, it was that was a god awful version. Yeah, there was just music choices in there that I just was like. What? I mean, but I sort of like that because of the audacity of it. Like, oh but, but my god. the whole thing, right? Mm-hmm. One of the things that is weirdly thrilling feels a bit strong, but was enjoyable, was a draw from here about the Snyder Cut was. Yeah. It was so fucking idiosyncratic. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, it it was not, by by contrast, did you watch, or, I, have you watched any of the, the Disney Plus Marvel stuff yet? No. I have okay, not. We'll, get to, we'll get to this in a bit, I suspect. But, um, you, you know, you're watching a Zack Snyder film, and it's full of choices, mm-hmm. and many of them are bad choices. Mm-hmm. But it's, it's, it's choices. Yeah, and honestly, I, some I, of them I, are geniusly bad choices. Yeah, yeah. I, it's kind of great. Like, yeah. It's legitimately exciting mm-hmm. to see someone being like, I'm going to fucking go for it. Yeah. I'm going in the wrong direction, but I have embraced it, and I'm fucking going for it, and it's amazing. And they just run. Right. You know? And that was great. And the bad music choices and the fact that it takes... This is not a joke because I timed it. Uh, it's like eight minutes before you actually get a proper scene in mm-hmm. Sex Nights Justice League. Oh, even the opening the sequence with the death scream resounding through everything was insane. That is the most insane opening. I almost... I was like, I'm not sure if I should laugh or cry or it still had it. Like it cut to another sequence and be like, oh my God, for eight minutes, you're saying. Yeah. for Well, that and then that you get um, Bruce Wayne on horseback over snow mountains. Yes. And if you add two together, it's eight minutes before anything happens. Wow. Yeah. It's it's insane, but like yeah, that uh, the music choices, the the wholehearted embrace of I am I am going to give everyone their backstory, even though it makes this film four hours. Yeah, uh, the the every single second second of the film being in slow motion, seemingly, you know, there's there's all these things that are so unmistakably Zack Snyder. Mm-hmm. But it's someone who has a viewpoint, <laughs> you know? Yeah. I thought that was, there was something great about it. And it's not just that I have recently watched the, the Whedon Cut and like again, I'm watching it again. And, and the Whedon Cut makes, watching it again makes me even more appreciative of the Zack Snyder Cuts. But even beyond that, there's something interesting in his own weird obsessions slash cliches slash tropes slash fetishes in terms of filmmaking yeah that make it an interesting thing to watch mm-hmm. um you know even if you compare it to something like like another dc film like not just a bag on 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 marvel like joker 
isn't like Joker is like a uh is kind of a uh it doesn't have a viewpoint in the same way or singular viewpoint in the same way that I think Snyder's Justice League does. Huh. In part because I think Joker has tries to have Martin Scorsese's viewpoint. But <laughs> you know, it, it doesn't. It feels much more it feels much less sincere. Zack Snyder's Justice League feels oddly uh, sincere in its weirdness and that it means it and that's that's great like that's genuinely fun and, and odd an isn't it view. Hmm? sorry uh, sorry it's just odd to me because and i apologize if i am beating you to your segue but one thing that struck me as weird about finishing up Zack snyder's justice league and admittedly a weirdo set of confluence of events to have that come around to happen that I don't think you can always count on. But, you know, Warner Brothers, which is one of the largest media conglomerates and movie-making companies and has been for something crazy like 80 years, releases a movie that is so bizarrely idiosyncratic as as Justice League, and yet Marvel, which is the startup company that was literally founded with like stock option money um, about its own characters and properties, is way more in the formula of, and just, and Hollywood formula. You know what I mean? Like, it has taken the Hollywood formula and twisted it. One thing that did strike me about one of Snyder in one of the profiles about Snyder was he was like, you know, Marvel has that sort of Hollywood action with jokes thrown in formula down. He's like, uh, like we, DC would be foolish to try and beat them at their own game. Like, you know, you gotta go somewhere different. And, and Clearly, very clearly, does. Snyder does. It's a, yeah, it's mm-hmm. an absolutely fucking bonkers place he goes. Yeah, but again, it's it's his, and and again, the the successful DC films, by which I mean creatively slash artistically successful as opposed to financially successful films, right, are the ones that are very much their own things. Yeah, you know, like like Aquaman's absolutely fucking nuts. But it is, the yeah, exactly. Drums, mm-hmm. you're like, okay, he's just gone all in. He's, yeah. he's just he's going for it. Yeah, you know, um, Birds of Prey as well. I think is is like absolutely, uh, in a nice way, up his own ass. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, mm-hmm. and then you get things like uh, Justice League or or Suicide Squad, where they're trying to second guess themselves. And appeal mm-hmm. to a wider audience, and it doesn't work. Hmm. You know, they're not—they're not as interesting. Right, right. Did you hear this thing? I don't know if it's true or not, but it is a thing that I heard that, like, someone had a screenshot on Twitter where Patty Jenkins was talking about how the original, her original finale of Wonder Woman was that there was not supposed to be, there wasn't going to be any Aries. You know that David Thewlis was just going to be David Thewlis. That the whole point was that war was was made by men, was waged by men, and that the gods really weren't there. And she was like, "Yeah, I told DC about this," and and DC Warner's were like, "Well, okay, you know." And 
she was like, I kept trying to shut down the Aries thing, and they they said they were going to go with me, and then at the last minute, they were like, you know what, we've got to have a big fight with Aries to finish this up. And she was like, you motherfuckers, it's too late in the process for us to to do it well. It's too late to do it now. What's gonna What you're going to get is going to be slapped together shit, and you know, that really does explain, exactly, that does explain that movie. And it's interesting to me, because it is the the weakest point of the film, is the part where the suits sit down and are like, okay, just a few notes here. We thought about giving you your vision, and you totally, we totally support your vision, but you absolutely have to have a big, huge 10-minute slap down with Ares now. That's just, that's, that's... That's now, how these films end. Yeah, that's now part of your vision, you know. So... Um, that's fascinating. Yeah, yeah. Go I'll on, have to now, see if I can find that screenshot. People saying release the Patty Jenkins cut. <laughs> I mean, why not? I I'm kind of curious to see. I would like to see the um, the Suicide Squad cut. The whatever that dude wants to do it. David Ayer wants to do it. Yeah. It. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. They should. They fucking should. You know. I mean, it's not going to be good, but. And it probably won't be as interesting, but sure, why not? Do it. But again, maybe it would, right? Maybe there is actually good film. That's the thing. Zack Snyder's Justice League, I'm not sure it's convinced me that it's a good film. I think there's a good film in there. Mm. I think there's the right material for a good film in there. Mm-hmm. But it's definitely a better film than the one that was released in theaters, and it's a more interesting film than the one that was released in theaters actually suggested was there. Oh, for sure. Like, by leaps and bounds. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Um, Which I think is a really weird place. And it does, it makes me think, well, who else can do this? Mm Mm-hmm. You know? Well, it's an an interesting... I'm honestly, I think if this is proves to be a massive success, I wouldn't, I'm wondering if Disney's just going to go there for uh, the last Star Wars film. Oh, Yeah. Hmm. Interesting. Did they have enough? Did they have tons of other stuff actually shot to where they could have directed? They have another cut up their sleeve on that, or no? There. Well, there was rumored to be like an entirely different cut. Hmm. Interesting. Okay. I didn't. I didn't know. No, I really, in a way, particularly care. It'll be interesting. It'll be interesting to I, see I if we cut like movies could be thing massive, mm-hmm. massive. Mm-hmm. Then. I would love to see what other people basically try and try and follow it up. Yeah, right. You know, it may not be a bad idea. It in the sense of it's it's a it's a way like these streaming services do have to provide some form of something that attracts it. You know, and there's I don't know. It's it'll be interesting to me. Part of me is like, uh. Eh. Mm. The Snyder thing really helped to me because it's not just, you know, what what hit the theaters wasn't a two hour cut of Zack Snyder's Justice League. It really was. was, It's significantly different. Yeah, exactly. So in ways that, again, are like make sense if they're trying to create a two hour version and also just don't make sense. Like there were changes that just don't make sense. Which is fascinating to me. Yeah, you mentioned with the island and things. Did you, were you, I don't know, you had sort of looked like you were going to go to 
Falcon and Winter Soldier as yes. compare contrast. Uh, I, I, in part, just because I watched the first episode yesterday. Uh-huh. And it's a first episode. There's five more to go. They're trying to put everything in place. I get that. It was dull. It felt <laughs> more dull and uh-huh. more slow mm-hmm. than Snyder's Justice League. Mm-hmm. It made Snyder's Justice League look fast-paced. But more worryingly or more upsettingly, perhaps, mm-hmm. the eight-year-old who fucking loved the Avengers movies, who was psyched to see the show, who started off being like, I mean, literally the title comes up and he's like, oh, they're they're the real heroes of the of the Marvel Universe. Like, he was really into it. Wow. Like, 25 minutes into it was like, can we watch something else? <laughs> Oh boy, yeah. yeah. And I was mm-hmm. like, okay, I get that. You know, superheroes aren't just for kids anymore. Sure, get that. But one division was the weird show, right? Like Falcon and Soldier was supposed to be like the big crowd pleaser. Yeah, and let like half halfway into the first episode, he's like, yeah, I'm 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 done. He's like, can we watch The Simpsons? Wow. We're like, sure, yeah, we'll watch Simpsons. That's yeah. uh that's uh it was it was um you know when you're talking about writing for the trade it 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 felt like that it yeah. felt so so simultaneously in love with the Marvel universe as a brand mhm um and and like the idea of like you're not a fan of characters you're a fan of the Marvel universe um and it and it it felt overly in overly assured that you wanted to watch it no matter what it did. Hmm. If that makes sense. Hmm. The plot of the first episode is Sam Wilson is now working with the Air Force and straight up murdering dudes. Wow. And yeah, no, he's on a mission at the start to rescue someone and he just like he just fucking kills everyone. <laughs> It's, I, like honestly, I was like, I'm surprised he's just outright killing people. Like he's throwing people out of helicopters into into like cliffs and shit. Wow! Hmm. And I was like, what? <laughs> this feels odd. This feels genuinely weird. Um, but when he's not doing that, he's trying to help his sister get a loan to save their his, the family business and the boat. But he can't get a loan because because no one wants to give a loan to an Avenger. But they do want the photo <coughs> taken with him. Uh, meanwhile, the Winter Soldier uh, is uh, is traumatized by what he's done, and he goes on a date, but he can't go on a date because the woman he's on a date with reminds him of his old friend, and it turns out, as the Winter Soldier, he had killed the old friend's son by accident. Oof. And then at the end, they're like, and there's a new Captain America, and it's a US agent. And that's the first episode. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like you said, writing for the trade. It's all about yeah. that last page yeah. reveal. That's not good. Yeah. It was... It was really bad. <laughs> it was mm. really bad. Mm. It, it felt... And, but, the, the, like, the through line for, for, like, you know, it's like, well, you, you will reference the blip. We'll reference, you know, Steve Rogers a lot. We'll reference, oh, look, here's a cameo from, from Rhodey. Like, just mm-hmm. keep watching. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it was just... It felt like weirdly cocky that you're like no you're you're in for this already you've you've signed up for the whole show 
Right. And after this first episode, I was like, I've not signed up with those shows. Honestly, probably not going to be back. Or if I am, I'm going to leave a while. Wow. Yeah. And did you have... Were you watching WandaVision in this with any degree of... I mean, was it high interest, low interest? Was it was it similar, like, eh, you know, it's been two or three weeks, maybe we can watch two or three episodes? Was it Destination TV? What what was it for you? Uh, it, it varied, honestly. It was varied interest. Uh-huh. Because I was very curious before it started. I was kind of excited. I was cautiously excited when it started. I sure. thought the first couple of episodes were not as interesting as they thought they were. Right. I then got slightly more into it. And then by the time that it had the Agatha reveal, I was kind of falling out of interest with it to mm-hmm. the point where I thought the last episode was was horrible. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, so I so it was just... it. it but I don't even have this. It, like, I right. don't even have that with this. Mm-hmm. Like this just felt cynical and shit, to be honest. Yeah, yeah. That yeah, I, I, it, it felt far too. It felt very much like, well, of course you're going to tune in. <laughs> yeah, right. It's Marvel, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, no. it, it was. It was not. It was not a good look. <laughs> um, yeah. But it did. It felt. It felt slow and overly serious and self-interested in a way that honestly was very reminiscent of the Snyder Cut. Hmm. Of the... Wait, of the Snyder Cut or the Whedon Cut? Yeah. Oh, okay. No, the Snyder Cut. Oh, interesting. Okay. the Snyder Cut is very slow, Jeff. Snyder Cut is very, very slow. Absolutely. Absolutely. It is very slow, but it also has... There was just some other phrase that you used, like whether it was self-interested or something that was kind of... Yeah, but I I think the Snyder Cut is self-interested as well. I do. I think it's self-indulgent. I think it's self-interested. I, I, but I also think it's more interesting. I think it's sure. more there. Yeah, yeah, right, right. Or, or at least it's the, it's the um, the more talented of the self-interested bunch, right? So therefore, it's got yeah. there's more there's more moves there. There's more ways of drawing your attention, rather than like you said, just kind of the lazy. Hey, you're gonna look at yeah. us, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. It, it's just, it was, uh, it's weird. It was a disappointment. Not because I thought that I was going to love it, because uh-huh. I didn't, <laughs> but because I thought that it was going to be the mainstream thing that the eight-year-old was going to love. Right, right, yeah. You know? And it's 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 not at all. And I, I, I really genuinely am disappointed in that i i i I wanted it to weirdly enough i wanted it to be more uh more surface oriented or or more dumb i guess Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. yeah absolutely yeah yeah it was a strange thing Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah so so very disappointing Mm. Hmm. that is a Uh, bummer and interesting. Yeah. We'll see. We'll see if it um, cer- certainly feels as if my my feed is a lot more people talking about the Snyder Cut 
and a light smattering of people being like, oh, it does. It, 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 is, it does feel like it sort of disappeared in the Snyder Cut stuff. Yeah, yeah, I think so. It definitely seems but, like But it. then again, I also thought that WandaVision was built in popularity. Yes, and and this could maybe happen with, it could be Falcon and Winter Soldier will get better as it goes on, as it builds towards stuff. I did see one or two people where they're kind of like, oh... Yeah, maybe the John Walker, you know, like if we're going to do a U.S. agent, you know, here's what America wants for Captain America, you know, the the American military industrial industrial military complex wants for as a Captain America. That might be interesting, you know, maybe. I don't yeah, know. Yeah, well, I, know? There, maybe I'm just unconvinced. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, that's it. It sort of seems like they argued you out of it in a way i mean again we will see right we'll, we'll see where they want to go with it but and and this is 100 percent, i think me being just not the right kind of fan there is something weird and off-putting for me seeing the falcon just like you know throwing dudes out of helicopters and not giving a shit it's Kind of a weird, you know. I have I mean, to say, I get, I'm surprised. Yeah, I get that he's a soldier. I understand that. It just still feels odd to me. Yeah, that 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 like that's especially in the first episode. I don't know. It, it's the it feels perfectly set up for a no. The military, the military industrial complex is not does not care about you. Twist. Right. If it wasn't for the fact that. It's Marvel. Yeah. You know? Right. So. Well, they might have it both ways. You know, it's the class sort of, I mean, I don't know because I didn't watch WandaVision. But if the episode six reveal is, you know, that the dude who is forcing John Walker down everyone's throats and pulling the strings and et cetera, et cetera, just has to whisper Hail Hydra at the end of episode six. And you're like, oh shit, you know, like that's always like Marvel always runs this very thin line of being, trying to have its cake and eat it too. That mostly works because people are like in love with the Marvel brand, but you know, it, again, it's the only only Black Panther kind of had levels of ambiguity to it. And even then, it was like, oh, here's the good CIA guy helping, you know, the African exactly. king it's the suppress. Nice CIA guy. Exactly. It's the nice CIA guy. So, I mean, there there is a lot. It is, it's, it is, it's also weird to me, I mean... What's weird is there is a little bit of the I would personally assume that Disney Plus means that everything can kind of only go so far. One thing I did like about the Zack Snyder cut uh, Justice League is it's an R-rated film and it worked at that level without without being super gratuitous. You know what I mean? Like there's a couple of scenes where like I don't know, Batman says, like, ah, what the fuck, or something. And you're like, yeah, that's 
that's perfectly natural. Like it didn't, it wasn't like, oh, I'm yeah, going to have Superman fine. saying shit. You know, it was like, this is the worldview. This is the, you know, Wonder Woman's going to blow up a bad guy. Like bullets are going to get deflected and there's going to be blood and people are going to get beheaded because it's Amazons. It's kind of like, okay, it's all part of a worldview that I sort of may or may not like the worldview, but at least it's there. It's sort of ridiculous to pretend that it's going to be you know, PG-13, and, you you know, it's the A-team, you know, the, the guy's crawling out of the helicopter after it's cl- crashed into the side of the mountain, you know, groaning, you know? It's... Mm-hmm. And yet, at the same time, part of me is like, yeah, I'm not sure I do want a Marvel superhero on Disney+, Plus, like, you know, uh, g- ganking dudes, you know? Yeah, I don't... but at the same time, like, they always have. Do you know what I mean? Like, all of all of all of the Marvel superheroes, it feels like, mm-hmm. have no problem with murder. Sure, I mean, do I mean in the yeah. films? So I guess so. I mean, I guess so. Sure. I mean, sure. maybe Iron Man doesn't, but like, I, I feel I feel that there's not really been that much concern with you know if they're bad guys, we'll have to make sure that we see them getting up afterwards. Oh, agreed. I mean, I uh, let's put it this way. There is a certain amount of that, and certainly, I mean, you know, by the time you get to Thanos, it's it is all about death and murder and killing and things. But 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 it's weird for it. It is weird with Disney Plus. I would yeah, think well, that's, so much of Disney Plus is oriented towards kids. Yeah, right. So like Disney Plus is oriented yeah. towards kids. Yeah. That that's part three. Honestly, that and the number of times someone says shit in the first episode of, of Winter Soldier, I was like, this feels weird. Yeah, this this feels like it's honestly it feels like it's aimed at a different audience than the MCU movies. It kind of sounds. It kind of reminded me a lot of, although not at that level, but the Netflix Punisher shows yeah. are yeah it, the Netflix Marvel shows yeah yeah the Netflix Marvel shows really sometimes they did it in a, oh hey look at me I'm saying poops and sometimes they actually did it in a world of like oh this is an extreme like you know it, it's the punisher it makes sense that people get punished you know what i mean like that it, it, and and it was more or less to its credit if you found it inherently tedious that was one thing but yeah no it it does sound weird like falcon and winter soldier should sort of be like a you know, at best, kind of a PG-13 buddy movie, you know, even if it's going to have international espionage undertones, not like, here's a character who, you know, we're trying to present is having romance problems, you know, because we're still trying to not really deal with the fact that the huge member, uh, uh, the the large percentage of this, the fans for fans for this person want slash need them to be gay. You know, like I'm just like, boy, you're really you're gonna try and do a romance thing with like Bucky? That's not that's not a good idea. Like everyone knows, the whole point is you finally get that classic reversal of him going cap. Steve, you know, waking up from a nightmare, like, ah, I wasn't there for you. Uh." That that would be genuinely great. Yeah. If that's where they're going with it. It's not. Oh, it's not. Absolutely, it's not. You know? But I I would love it if it was. No, of course. (laughs) That would be the best. That would absolutely be the best. It would be a ton more interesting at every level. 
You know what I mean? Like, it just would be. The Stucky stuff aside, like, part of me is like, I see all sorts of... But yes! By all means, like, apart from the classic reversal, it's kind of like, yeah, you know. I don't know. But instead, they're going to do this thing. I'm going to pivot entirely. Oh, good. Because you've just reminded me. Um, I think I told you, I'm fairly sure I told you an email. Um, I've been reading the Morrison Green Lantern run. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, this, This week. And I've now read all of it. Oh, interesting. I have read all 28 issues of it. Because there's two 12-issue runs, then there's three issues of Black Sass, and there's the annual. Oh, oh God, in the annual. Jesus, you completest you. Let me just tell you, Jeff. In a genuinely stunning turnaround for me, I fucking loved it. Wow! I what? Wow! I thinking it was all over the place. It was, you know, a mess. And it is. Don't get me wrong. It is still messy especially in that second series Mm -hmm. and the second series is is, feels much messier than the first Mm -hmm. but it also feels like it is morrison trying to say something to himself as much as anyone else interesting and work out a lot of ideas Mm. uh about masculinity about gender especially in the second series holy shit Mm. Uh, but also about uh, generational uh, condemnation and how people view generations before and after them. Huh. In such a way that it genuinely kind of blew my mind. That's great. And there is a much stronger through line, much stronger through line, Mm. to it than I, I had actually really noticed before mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and I love it <laughs> that's fabulous I, wow I really loved it huh. and I found myself surprised as shit <laughs> um, but it's it's how can I put this it feels very much this and Wonder Woman Earth 1 volume 3 which came out two or three weeks ago uh huh feel it very much of a piece that now that Morrison has come out as non-binary, mm-hmm. like are, are incredibly compelling and feel like Morrison is writing to themselves. Hmm. And I think I said himself earlier on when I, when I was uh, mm-hmm. referring to Morrison, I, I have to get better at that. Yeah. Um, but it feels like Morrison is, is, is writing to themselves and about themselves and and trying to work things out uh-huh. in a way that is I mean utterly fascinating, incredibly self-indulgent, but so open to being wrong or admitting they don't have an answer that was incredibly charming to me. Huh. It it I I I honestly went from thinking, well, this is a mess, to thinking, I love this. Now, I if you don't it. mind, I'm just going to uh, press you for a few more details. What was the point at the read through where it felt like it clicked for you? Um, and and uh, also where those where and how those feelings. Um, so so in a very it's in a variety of places, honestly. 
uh, it was about midway through the first series where I was like, oh, this isn't the mess that I thought it was. Right. You know, this this is far more coherent. And, and not only is each episode more coherent, each issue more coherent, but there is a through line running through it. And I'm seeing the through line and I'm appreciating the through line. The first series is is a lot. There is a lot of Black Star stuff in there as well, but there's also a lot of. Um, there is there's more police procedural in there and more criticism of of a police procedure from a metasexual standpoint than I remembered. Hmm. Um, and but there's also more, uh, more idea of what Hal Jordan as a meta avatar of a particular brand of masculinity means yes. mm-hmm. and what it can mean mm-hmm. when placed in different story contexts. Hmm. And that really plays out in the second series. And there's a point, There's, I, I think it's like two or three issues in a row where you get the Hyperman story and then you get the return of Star Sapphire from Earth-11. Mm-hmm. And with Earth Return Star Trek from Mother Eleven. You also get the Green Lantern from that world, who is a hyper masculine Green Lantern. Mm-hmm. And Hal, who is, you know, Morrison referenced things like, you know, Paul Newman in, in Cool Hand Luke and, and various, like, you know, hyper masculine archetypes when talking about his version of, of Hal Jordan in interviews. And he does, you know, there, that's especially true in the early issues of the, the first season. Yeah, very much so. Get, you know, like he is like this hyper-masculine drifter archetype. But then you, by by the second series, especially by the time you get to the second half of it, he has, he remains that type of character, but he is placed in such a context where you realize that it's not that he is necessarily masculine as much as he's embodying one view of uh, hero, of heroism. Hmm. And so when he's faced with a hyper-masculine Green Lantern, he finds him ridiculous. And he doesn't understand him, which is really fun. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, hyper-masculine Green Lantern is calling him bro and threatening him to fight. Mm-hmm. Right? And he's just like, what? what? Who is this idiot? Mm-hmm. Like, why? You're not even paying attention to what's important. Hmm. Uh, you also get the payoff. I like. Have you? Did you keep up with with Morrison Green Lantern or not? Well, only in the sense that uh, I mean, I think I told you I I read Black Stars and liked it, and you were like, "What?" And then I had read the first the Hoopla had the first trade of season two, so I read yeah. the first six issues of that, and there was shit in there that I loved. And yeah. then... So you get you get a payoff when mm-hmm. Star Sapphire comes back to the thing that you suggested ah. way back when she showed up in the first one, which mm-hmm. is she's Hal Jordan. Mm-hmm. Like you actually get payoff to that. Oh, great! Well, that's good to know, right? Yeah. Um, but but then it goes into uh, it, I don't know. It's just like you have Battle of the Sexes stuff, which ties in with the with the Wonder Woman book, mm-hmm. which also has like is literally a Battle of the Sexes. Right, that's what Volume Three of, of Wonder Woman Earth One is. Right. Um. But he in both books in both books, Morrison it comes at it as the the enlightened point of view. By which I mean, like both viewed from the resolution, but also viewed from the point of view of the of the hero who is 
in theory thrown into these, this situation but does not embrace the situation mm-hmm. is one of why is this even happening? Mm-hmm. Like like this this is a false dichotomy. This this is this is a, a war that doesn't need to happen. Right. You know, like what how did we get here? Something is wrong that we are here. Which mm-hmm. which feels you know, having having how basically not even reject it because the entire th- thread through it is basically how you can't stick Hal Jordan into the middle of a, 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 a fight without him going, okay, fine. I'm going to fucking take sides and I'm going to do something about it. Right. He is proactive to a fault. Right. Um, but he doesn't, he doesn't buy into it. Right. He, he's just, he, he is trying to bring peace to it while also acknowledging that it is ridiculous. Right. That it is something that he doesn't support, and the the characters that do support it are characters that he finds himself in opposition to. Mm. You know. You know, I was I was going to say, uh, it, and I apologize because it's shifting from your point a little bit or possibly a lot. But like I said, I read the first trade, and then this week, I think it was this week on DC uh, Infinite. Um, there issue was seven. issue seven, right? And issue seven is a is a really weird issue. I mean, it's a weird comic run anyway. But in the, that issue, you know, we saw Green Lantern essentially die in issue six, and in issue seven, they're like, "Okay, we're <coughs> we're reassigning you to Dead Lantern duty," you know. And it's it's kind of in that way of here's how you know. Morrison does this sort of tour of Green Lantern's history, you know, getting a chance to sort of revisit and re-explore it and dip his toes into every sort of era. But, and so it's the, it's the Hal Jordan as Spectre. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's funny that you mentioned the, the non, the the non-gender or non-binary, uh, stuff because there's a point that was very strange and odd where basically like these forces keep trying to tell Hal that he's this certain way and has to do things this certain way and he keeps more or less saying I'm not I don't have any contradictions in me I I and the weird part is and it's this weird like what is what is Morrison trying to say here? There's a point where the big shot is is Hal Jordan yelling, "I am a core," you know, and it it, it it's this weird. I am many. I contain multitudes, but Morrison obviously is is playing with the idea of 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 Jordan is bodied. You know what I mean? Like, there's clearly something that's going on there that I didn't draw the line. And I'm not even really sure it's, where it's, or it's what it would be, you know? Do you remember, I, I mean, I can't remember, have you read Green Lantern Mosaic by the, you know, never-to-be-discussed Gerard Jones and Cully Hamner? Uh, I think just the first issue and a few, uh, sort all the so, wrong issues, So issue basically. five, I think, of that run, really early on, um, John Stewart and, Green, and Hal Jordan have a fight. And they have a fight in their mindscape because, of course, they do. Oh, right. And uh, John Stewart comes up with, personifies as multiple media images of blackness. 
mm-hmm. right? So he is like he's a gang member. He is a boxer. He is, you know, the scholarly black man. He, you know, he and it's all media projections. Right. And he, quote unquote, wins the fight because he is all of these things, mm-hmm. right? He, he, he. Parts of him are present in all of them. He is also none of these, not singularly one of these things. And the punchline of the the issue beyond that is Hal Jordan keeps showing him up as Hal Jordan. Right. Right. He just keeps yeah. whenever he uh, bifurcates, he he just like one Hal Jordan comes to Hal Jordans. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And and because Hal is the great white hero, and that's how he sees himself. So when he replicates, he only sees himself as that thing. Right. The issue of Green Lantern you're talking about. Um, Morrison almost goes the John Stewart route, mm-hmm. which is he keeps being told you are this, and he's like, yes, I am, but I'm also this, and they're like, yeah, but you're this, and he's like, I am, but I'm also this and this and this and this, right? But they are not in opposition, right? All of them are me, yeah. And so he he literally is reenacting, and I don't think it's intentional, but he's literally reenacting hmm. what John Stewart goes through in that That's interesting. Mosaic. Huh. Um, but I think. That is also, I like again. You can read this into the larger um, idea that Morrison is self-investigating through Green Lantern. Yeah, very much so. Right? right, because Morrison is saying, "Sure, I am this, and I am this, and I am this." And to other people, these things are in opposition, but they're not in opposition to me because I am all of these things. All of these things go into me. Right. I can be multiple things at once. And in fact, it is valuable to me. It is it is what makes me me that I have these different parts of me. Yes, exactly. And you know? and like you said, it seems to be that that yeah, that essentially that that Morrison's non-binariness is not a rejection of Gender roles so much as an acceptance of all of them, I guess. Well, but but one of the things I think comes through in both Earth One and Green Lantern mm-hmm. is um, a rejection of the idea that it's a it's a dichotomy of that they're in opposition. Yes, exactly. Right, a rejection of the fact that like if you are one, you have to be against the other. Yeah. And I think I think he's he's making the argument of like no you you can be both. <laughs> you know it's it's interesting. So just out of curiosity, Graham, how is that? Hmm. Um, how, when we were talking a little bit of, and this was within the last year of Morrison coming out as non-binary, and to what extent that that was going to inform readings of his work or how we would read his work or etc and and i think someone in the comment threads quite point, rightly pointed out to uh rebus in doom patrol um how how in a way do you square that circle i mean to me like doom patrol feels like like all this stuff but you know 30 years ago what you know why is it I, I, being, yes. I would square as I'm not even sure if I'm squaring in circle, but I think Rebus is presented as other in Doom Patrol. Uh-huh. Rebus is presented as unknowable. Rebus is presented as an enigma who's on our side. But you 
you literally with I think it was one issue where you see from their point of view. Yes, yeah, the and the otherwise, like, and otherwise you don't, right? Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. they are because because Cliff is essentially the point of view character of Doom Patrol. Yes, and Cliff regards Rebus throughout the entire thing as I guess you're my friend, but I don't get you. Mm-hmm. Right. Like, sure, like you say you're my friend, and I'm going to take you up on that, but I don't understand. I don't get you. And implicit in that is, I think, uh, uh, distrust. Right? The Cliff only really... I'm not sure if Cliff actually ever properly learns to trust Rebus. Mm-hmm. You know? Um, whereas in both... Wonder Woman Earth One and and the Green Lantern. The A the subject is more coded, but also happening to the point of view characters of the book mm-hmm. in a way that is more personal and more intimate, and especially in the Green Lantern's case, something that just doesn't come to a conclusion doesn't have an answer but instead is raised as a a question that within the larger context of the green lantern as a series is is embracing the ambiguity is embracing the i don't have an answer to this and that's exciting Hmm. you know um the thread that runs through the second series of the green lantern is the young guardians have come along. They're new guardians. They're replacing the guardians of old because, like, I feel like that's happened like three or four times in the last ten years or so. Yeah. Um, but these ones know they're young, and they explicitly get into coded. It is the new generation commenting and criticizing the old generation. I can't remember what issue it is, but there's one point where, where one of them basically says, "You're problematic to Hal Jordan." Right. Right. That's right. funny. Might uh, be seven. And and uh, and you know, here's the new generation, mm-hmm. and and it's literally a, an image of Teen Lantern from Young Justice and Joe from Far, Far Sector and the Green Lantern from the the Green Lantern Legacy YA book. Okay, and the message is clear. Mm-hmm. This is this is what Green Lantern should be. You're you're the you're the past, right. and you're the past, and you're problematic, and you're dangerous, right? You're going to be retired. It is spoiling nothing to say that by the end of the series, they have realized that they were wrong. Of course. They were, they were not wrong that Hal is problematic. They were not wrong that the other characters of the future of the Green Lantern Corps. They were wrong in thinking that they knew the answer. And there is an explicit suggestion that every generation, in thinking it knows the answer, repeats the mistakes of the previous generations. Hmm. And it's Hal Jordan who says, every generation, we always expect every generation to be better than the next, so maybe the next generation will be able to build on your mistakes. Hmm. And I think Morrison is writing as a 60-year-old man, or a 60-year-old person yes looking back at at their own mistakes 
at at things they've done like Rebus, like Fanny in, in the Invisibles. Um honestly like the beasts in, in New X Men. Uh that they have been problematic, that they have done things that are are not ideal when viewed from today's point of view, shall we say? Uh-huh. Um but also listening to the criticism but not necessarily accepting the criticism or not accepting the criticism of them as as law and instead realizing that they are part of a, a an ongoing generational evolution mm-hmm. and that they get to they get to redefine themselves thanks to what is happening as part of this evolution but that there is not an end goal I may be reading far too much into it. Like, no, you know, it... for all I know, Mark. No, I was, I was literally just, you know, hacking stuff out in the middle of the the Brave New World writers' room because I had a deadline that month. But it feels, it feels, um, it feels autobiographical in a way that his, in, in a way that their work hasn't in a long time. And I keep getting pronounced wrong, and I'm mad at myself every time I do. Yes. Um, but it feel it does. It feels autobiographical in a way that Morrison's work hasn't in the longest time. It feels subconscious in a way that Morrison's work hasn't since Doom Patrol, maybe or Animal Man. Mm-hmm. And it feels messier and more honest than maybe anything they've done in mainstream fiction ever. <laughs> wow, I mean, definitely very messy. I do get that. But... No, it is. It is very messy. Like yeah. I, 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 I. You know, there, a lot of this is me, not necessarily projecting, but me drawing together threads that I'm not even sure that Morrison was aware that they were putting in there. Right. Um, but it, it's all there because again, it's there was one point I think it was when Morrison was writing Jelly and Invisibles at the same time in the nineties. And they they made a, a comment interview about basically like they were automatic writing because they just had to hit deadlines and they didn't know what they were putting in there. Right? And so like Invisibles is very autobiographical as well. Um, but some of it bleeds into JLA at the same time. Right. And I think the, the Green Lantern is filled with that. I think it's filled with, with a, I didn't realize I was writing about myself, but I was. All the way through, especially when you consider that in the middle of this run, they come out as non-binary. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And honestly, I have been part of of an online discourse, and and the online discourse part is is very um, like by the time you get to twelfth issue and an ultra war has arrived, and you see the form that ultra war takes, like he's clearly sorry, they're clearly again, Jesus Christ. Um, they're clearly writing about the internet. <laughs> like, they're clearly writing about the internet. Interesting. Um, and, and it's, yeah, the whole, it's, it's it, like I said, it's really messy. It's really messy. But when I read it all together, I appreciated it so much more. Yeah. It sounds pretty great, I gotta say. So anyone else who has a lot of time on their hands, read all of the, the Green Lantern in a wonder. 
Although I'm not sure. I mean, yeah, good luck on that. I mean, I guess the individual issues are, well, I don't even know if, I mean, it must be fully out, but yeah, it is fully out because of course, issue seven, they're six months behind. So you'd have to pick up some singles, but I mean, the second trade's not out. I mean, the fourth trade or so isn't out, is it? Yeah, no, sorry, yeah, no. So, did you did you get to the end of your point? Did you, or is there things? Is there other news to talk about? Is there other things you wish to? I I, I think I got to the end of my point, such as I had a point. <laughs> well, it's interesting because the point was that you know, kind of, this thing is is messy but exciting. Which I mean, what a fine counterpoint for Zack Snyder's Justice League. This thing is messy. And yeah, exciting. Yeah, I, I, yeah maybe, maybe that's the running theme for me. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, I, I like things that are trying to say something. Uh, you know, yeah. That might not be successful. And, right. You know, I, and arguably with Zack Snyder's Justice League, it's not successful. But, but you know, at least they're trying. Because, I, again, I, I do think that I would rather have that than have uh, Falcon Winter Soldier. See, yeah, whereas to me, I'm like, yeah, it's, I, I feel that Zack Snyder's Justice League is, is trying. I just don't think maybe trying to, trying to say something again, I'm like, mm, that way just leads mad, to madness, I think. Sort of the way that this way leads to a skip week. Hooray! I can't believe I punched my own microphone thing. Screwed that up. That, this was, way, that was great. Yeah, I, I know. Let's try and record it again. So yes! Quiet, Graham! I'm recording again! This way leads to a skip week! Yay! That was an amazing segue. Can we just say that? <laughs> like, like, that was great. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate it. Um, yeah. Yeah, it was. We, uh, we did... Did our did our did our three in a month? We're getting next week off, and then we will be back in two weeks with another. Wait, what? Wait, what? So, <laughs> and then we will. I, I I mean, what is even happening? Well, we can talk about Godzilla versus Kong. That's going to happen. Oh yeah! I mean, I, who cares? I mean, no offense, who but cares what? Well, okay, look, dude. I've seen like I actually am a guy who enjoyed. Kong Skull Island a lot, like to the point where people more or less mock me for it. But it it it's it's enjoyable, you know. But the Godzilla movies, oh wow, the that last Godzilla thing that I watched. Oh no, I I loved it, but again, it was terrible. Oh man, I mean was... that was that was not a good film. But yeah. again, I loved it. So uh, short version, don't trust me. Oh, okay. So you're really looking forward to Godzilla v. Kong, then. That's excellent. <laughs> yeah. I'm again, so glad. It'll be terrible. Hmm. But I, I, I very much am. I'm not saying that Kong Skull Island was, was... Oh, no, it's also terrible. Yeah, exactly. But it was entertaining terrible. Whereas, for the whatever reason... I saw this like... year, Jeff. Really? Yeah, I watched that New Year's Day. <laughs> there you go. That's the way to start your, your year off right. Oh, my <laughs> God. I love that film. It is so good. That is just such a it's such a big block of satisfying cheese. I love it. Every resoundingly inauthentic moment of it. But that's not the point. The point is that we I like 
there will be show notes uh, for this very episode. Probably, if I get my act together or keep my act together, tomorrow you're always, you're night. always have show notes at on time. Man, I don't know about that. Th- I will say that you very smartly always say it. So every time I'm like, motherfucker, all right, I'm fucking going to press through and do this. But yeah, no. It, show notes, they'll be available for this episode. Probably, hopefully, by Sunday evening is what I'm thinking. Uh, and then, of course, we will have the skip week. Graham, you, normally you jump in and tell them things about our things. Um, I do. This is yeah. when I tell you that uh, at, at some point in our lifetime, who maybe, who knows, uh, I'll post stuff <laughs> on waywellpod.tumblr.com and instagram.com forward slash waywellpod. I really will on Instagram this week because do you know what I've been reading as well as everything else? Old Superman comics. And do you know what old Superman comics had? They had something called the Superman of 2020 because in 1980, that was a long time in the future. No. Great. Holy shit. It's great, Jeff. Oh my um, God. So yeah. So look out for that. Oh my God, that's fabulous! Fucking photographs of those because they're amazing. Mm. Anyway, <laughs> yes, uh, those places. Um, we have a, uh, a Twitter account at Wait What Podcasts. It is at Wait What Podcast. I got confused for a second. At Wait What Podcast, Jeff has a Twitter account at Lazy Bastard at L A Z Y B A S T I D. I am at Graham M at G R A E M E M, and we are a Patreon supported podcast, which means that Jeff takes it over once again. Yes, yeah, hey, listeners, we're incredibly grateful to you for listening to us blab and over blab. I'm, it'll be kind of curious to, uh, since I really did think that it was like, yeah, we're going to just talk Justice League for the full episode. I feel bad that I sort of stepped on Graham's toes when it came down to him talking about uh, the Green Lantern, which sounds really interesting. Uh I only feel semi-bad because I feel sometimes Graham's a little vague uh, with his examples. So, I mean, you know, all I'm really stepping on is his enthusiasm. Maybe, or maybe there are points I, that I could Am I getting, like, there. subtweeted? <laughs> <laughs> you know, I... I'm, a very strange thing. Yeah, it's true. It's true. It's not... It's That's probably not cool. Uh, but I do appreciate Graham. And I do appreciate you guys because you managed to keep us uh, invested and on our toes and you shoot us uh, tweets and emails and things and uh, just generally let us know that you are listening and appreciating uh, what we do and that it helps you out in your day, um, which is always great to hear. And then the fine people at Patreon go the extra step and throw us a little bit of their very hard-earned dosh uh, in support, which is fabulous believe me when i looked and saw you know the it is amazing that there is a marvel uh bogo buy one get one going on at comiXology and uh and i finally hit the point where i i i i had to scavenge to get to get a bow uh to get a go to go with my bow i guess you know it was uh it took some work, but the fact is, I could do it, knowing that uh, the kind souls at Patreon throws a little bit of their their hard earned cash um, as a show of their support, and it really is it makes a huge difference uh, in quality of life and comic book reading. And um, as you know, Baxter Building are a read through of the first four hundred and sixteen issues of the Fantastic Four, and our current read through Drock 
of Judge Dredd, the complete case files, could not exist without the people on Patreon going the extra mile, literally, and hitting a stretch goal and 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 assigning us homework, glorious homework for the last four plus years. Um, we want to thank you for that. We also want to thank Empress Audrey, Queen of the Galaxy. We are especially grateful for her continuing support of this podcast and uh, this whole galactic spectral thing keeping us safe from the 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 weirdly uninteresting hammy-handed Zack Snyder dark side. Graham this is the part where I'm going to A, check that I'm not on mute, and I'm not, amazingly, but B, remind everyone that, as Jeff said, we're going to be back in two weeks. That's two right. weeks. Which gives you enough time to watch the Snyder Cut all over again. Or, <laughs> if you cheat yourself, watch the Whedon Cut. Or watch both simultaneously and see if you go insane. Ooh. Spoilers, you will. <laughs> Otherwise, we'll see you in two weeks. Bye! Bam! <laughs>